Welcome to Talking Absolute Worship, where we have come to the fourth Sunday of Lent, and uh, we're considering the text related to that Sunday. So, Rachel, what have you brought for us? What interesting thoughts and reflections have you on these readings this week? Well, my initial thought was, where on earth do we go with these? Um, but as I was uh, reflecting on them a bit more, the, the words that came to mind were, what a journey, um, because I feel that all of the readings take us on um, a kind of journey, a journey from um, a place of peril um, or a place of sinfulness, um, a place of danger to a place of well-being or a place of grace. And um, I wondered um, about reflecting on, on journey a bit with those. Also, because it, um, it takes us on, actually. It's kind of like a three-part journey. So we've got where we've come from to where we are. But the onward journey is also, I think, characterised by the fruits that are evident in our lives. Um, and very quickly, I ended up with the word sacrament kind of um, flashing in front of my eyes. Um, so going to the numbers reading to start with, which is quite um, interesting, puzzling perhaps, and, and seems almost superstitious and a bit magical and a bit, you know, we, we probably try to shy away from that a bit. But I was thinking, well, if, if we take the classic um, the classic definition of a sacrament being an outward sign of something that's happening inwardly, then perhaps the snake on a stick is, um, is in some way sacramental because uh, it symbolised for the people um, the rescue that, uh, that God had brought about for them. Um, and I thought it was interesting in Numbers as well that... Uh, that God doesn't often in, in, in the Psalms and in other passages of them wandering in the wilderness, you've got them grumbling and then God gives them a solution. You don't always get, you know, you don't always get the poisonous snakes being sent before you get the the um the solution. God's obvious God's often much more immediately gracious to the Israelites. Um and so it it seemed that this um You've got the snakes being sent and then the people repent and then you've got this sacrament that God is showing them you know this is the result of your repentance that you know this is what I, I wanted for you all along I suppose that sense of well-being and um, being in a good relationship with God and I think you get that particularly from the Ephesians reading um, we're saved from this you know this is where we were and we were um, we were enslaved, we were like a condemned prisoner, we were, you know, we were dead. Um, but God has got the initiative here, God has brought about our rescue. Um, and then our response to God's grace is um, gratitude and living lives that are a blessing to others. Um, so, and I think the psalm picks that up as well. Because although we're only given selected verses in the lectionary, all the way through you've got, well, some people were in darkness and gloom, but then I came and I did this. And 
some people had no food, but I came and I did this and that, you know, you could use the whole sum, I think. Um, so I'm not really touching, I don't think necessarily very much on John chapter three, apart from to say that um, eternal life is about quality, I think, rather than quantity. Um, it's about the way I think eternal life has a lot to do with the way that God calls us to live our lives now. Um, and so that perhaps could, you could bring that in if you were going on the journey and the kind of sacramental theme. But they were my my thoughts. I think journeys, the, the idea of journeys um, is, is one that people really quite easily um, relate to and can attach themselves to nowadays. I and mean, people love the Michael Palin journeys on trains and Michael Portillo going off on trains, uh, however ridiculous he looks. Um, and, um, and people love that kind of stuff, don't they? Um, so taking that kind of um, metaphor, I think, is, is quite fruitful. I, I, I think I kind of agree with you with the psalm. And I, I think the lectionary doesn't really do the psalm any favours at all. It cuts it off in a really bizarre place and I, I i went and got like a real bible oh an invisible bible invisible bible. <laughs> invisible bibles are amazing have you not got one <laughs> right through me and the but oh the bible makes me disappear that's very cool right, i know i've got this invisible bible here um <laughs> um and the why on earth the lectionary would choose to cut that off? Uh, except I think probably it's coming in at verse 17 because it really just wants to make a connection to the people that are mentioned in the numbers passage. And, it, and it's quite a brutal thing. This verse relates to them. Um, whereas just to have cut the whole thing uh, sort of preserves what the psalm is about. And I think there's even mileage in thinking just taking that psalm. Uh, reading through um, that it's like a series of scenarios. I think the note I wrote down when I when I read through this was, um, "What does redemption look like?" Or I think you use the word rescue, which is the same. I think the same idea. Um, we talk about God redeeming His people um, or her people. Um, what does that look like? And this psalm gives us a whole series of scenarios. It says some of you are lost in the scorching desert, um, hungry and thirsty, and to them redemption look like being given something to eat something to drink mm -hmm. some of you are prisoners um, and again we're, we're immediately thinking of Jesus aren't we saying you know, uh, with, with, with the encounter when he says when did we see you in prison when did we see you in the scorching desert <laughs> um, some of you are prisoners in the deepest darkness bound in chains and for them the redemption was to be brought out of, of that darkness and set free some of you had foolishly committed a lot of sins which is a connecting behaviour to punishment in some ways, isn't it? And we're in terrible pain. And this is the verse I think they want us to relate to numbers. Um, they've only been they've only been bitten by the snakes because of their willful um, rebellion. Um, and to them, redemption looks like being healed from the snake bites. Um, some of you went off to sea and were drowning. Um, and to them, redemption looked like being brought safely to a port. I think you could just do a whole sermon um, with pictures of what redemption looks like and then um, try and be contemporary about it. And 
yeah, there's just so much mileage in in that psalm. It's just utterly fantastic. So I'm certainly with you there. Where were you going, Neil, um, with these readings? Well, um, possibly it's a slightly different place. <laughs> well, they're similar, similar. Um, doesn't have to be the same. No, well, indeed, there may be more than one sermon in these texts. You never know. Uh, I think one of the things that for me kind of jumped out was was really only as I got to the end of reading through them all. And um, a little bit of reflection that I was reading about how the John passage ends uh, in verse 19. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Um, and again, the kind of the connection there is, is also back into the Exodus, uh, back into the numbers. And, you know, um, what's interesting about the numbers passage I was reading is that oh, this is the end of a sequence of people moaning at, about their situation. But interestingly, this is the this is the one time in the sequence where they moan not just about Moses, but about God. So so this is this is directly now. It's not just oh flipping at Moses, what have you done? You know what have we done following you? It's actually no. Hang on a minute, God. What what have you done? And who are you? Um, of course, we're all fabulous Greek scholars. Um, as we know, and uh, so judgment in Greek in 19 is crisis. And it led me to kind of ponder a little bit uh, a sermon around that sense of crisis, that sense of what is our crisis? You know, we're not getting bitten by snakes. But nevertheless, um, I think it would be possible to construct a sermon that explored and and I mean, you know, it's always dangerous to, to dwell on, you know, to do the kind of classic, here are all the things that are wrong, and Jesus is the answer, and then everything will be fine. So it's not that sermon, I hope. I, but I think I was beginning to think of, you know, again, here we are in Lent, and part of the, maybe here's another opportunity to connect with the fact that Lent is a penitential season. You know, it has a different sort of flavor, I think, to Advent. Um, and I think we've talked about this before in, in some of these conversations that we can be very keen to skip quickly to Easter and avoid Good Friday and, and especially Easter Saturday. Um, and so what might it be to actually create a sermon that explored that sense of crisis, that sense of um, you know, some of the things that are going wrong in the world, some of the things that are going wrong, I think, in the church, because, again, the danger is, you know, we just say, well, everyone else is sinful and we're OK. And indeed, personally, you know, what are some of the things in the life of a congregation? And these won't be things, you know, it would be ghastly to imagine preaching this and saying, you know, so I'm now going to tell you all the things that I know from our pastoral conversations that are sinful in this congregation. So you'd have to handle it with, with all the right pastoral sensitivity. But I think it would be possible to perhaps highlight 
just how many things can go wrong, um, how many things draw us away from the light or away from God. And what's interesting in the Ephesians passage that connects to this is I think the Ephesians passage is very much one in which we're, we're being helped to see that, that faith is a gift and grace is a gift. And therefore it's not earned, but once you enter into a life that is filled with God's gifts of forgiveness and grace and mercy, that should be a life that in a sense then becomes a mirror that echoes those things out into the world. And so again, it could be a sermon that said, you know, well, in our community, where are the, what are some of the crises points in our community? What are, what are some of the ways in which life is being treated too cheaply, um, that people are being taken for granted? Uh, you know, there might be some things, some things in there. Um, and then the final thing that just struck me about the, the numbers passage was kind of reflecting on the fact that what God seems to do there is say, in a sense, the very thing that is hurting you will become the thing that saves you. You know, the, 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 the symbol will become something that gives life, which I think connects to your, Rachel, your sense of something sacramental. Um, and so again, you know, how reflecting on how the cross which is meant to be something in its in its context which is saying here is a person who is of no value here is a person you should not follow this person is being crucified because they are either a threat against rome or they're you know they're a blasphemer all the stuff there actually jesus is also saying look at the cross and find in that the ultimate way back you know the ultimate the ultimate way to know actually here is someone to follow yeah uh, yeah um I'm, I'm i'm charming with that I, I don't know why but your what you were saying about the congregation and your sensitive um uh exposition of all their sins <laughs> um <laughs> something that i uh uh, I read in a commentary about um, numbers um, where somebody said, uh, somebody wrote, I've forgotten who it was now, uh, wrote, every church has got their let's go back to Egypt committee. <laughs> and I thought, how true is that? Every church got their let's go back to Egypt, it wasn't as bad as, you, as you're painting it um committee Let, let's um, let's turn this journey around maybe if you're using Rachel's metaphor let's, let's not go any further um Rachel the thing um that I noticed as well is in numbers in verse five um the people are moaning and why have you brought us up out of Egypt and they say for there is no food and no water and we detest this miserable food <laughs> so they've obviously got something um <laughs> and it sort of struck me that often, um, you know, we, we kind of complain to God about what we think we haven't got, but we actually do have, but we do have perhaps what we need, but, mm. but that's not good enough for us. Um, 
And I know there are times when I'm kind of a little bit jealous, maybe, of some of the things other people can do. And I sort of think, oh, I wish I could do that. And I wish I was as good as them at this. And, you know, I start thinking, oh, you know, I wish that was my gift. Um, and then you sort of lose sight of, of the, the gifts that God has actually given to you um, that, you, you know, that you are really good at. Um, and, and I think there's, there, there's always that tendency to sort of hug either to what's been in the past or to what someone else has got you know we all want youth work going on in our churches mm. because, you know we all envy churches that have got young people in them but the reality is that we don't so what have we got <laughs> what is God blessing us with um and you know sort of maybe change the focus a little <laughs> I had a um, I'm doing some cold calling um pastoral um, telephone calls with a church that I've just been um, introduced to and obviously I can't see them in person and I spent um, all of yesterday afternoon or was the day before um, lose track of the days um, just cold calling people off this church directory um, to try to find out who they were um, and what was going on in their lives and I was talking to this uh, elderly lady and I just remember sitting in the chair just being um, sort of overwhelmed by what she was saying uh, to me her circumstances didn't sound that great um but she was telling me um what she did have um and how fortunate she was and 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 i kind of i find myself reflecting with her saying what, what a, a, a sort of mature and gracious way of understanding life that was to celebrate the things that she can do and the things that she has got rather than to focus all of her energy and her mental um, time on the stuff that she can't do there's plenty of that that she can't do and that she doesn't have and there's plenty of that too uh, she could easily have done that for 40 minutes on the phone telling me what she couldn't do but she didn't not even for a second did she do that and it just came naturally it wasn't forced I can tell when it's forced, can't it? Oh, well, I am counting my blessings. <laughs> really, they're not counting their blessings. But she really was. Uh, I find it quite inspiring as, as, a, as a way of life. Um, I found myself this, um, this time, I'm uh, just, I mean, completely absorbed by the snake on the stick. Um, and in my defence, so did John. I mean, that's where he began. Um, he takes this, <laughs> this massive thing in in the life of uh, of the church the, the crucifixion and instantly thinks of the snake on the stick um that's what he compares it to he says like the snake on the stick so i've kind of spent quite a lot of time perhaps too much time maybe i don't know um asking myself the question how is the crucifixion like moses's snake on the stick john says it is how how is it like that um and I think where, where I came to um, was thinking about what was going on. The people were getting stung by these fiery serpents, um, which interestingly, um, as a side issue, are called, um, um, what's, what's the word for fiery angels? Seraphim. They're called seraphim. They could, they could be described as fiery angels. <laughs> um, I don't think they were fire-breathing snakes, um, but certainly fiery is in there, um, in, in, in the word. Um, as, I, as Neil said, us Greek scholars would instantly recognise. Um, I think it might be something to do with the 
fiery burning sensation after you've been bitten. Um, anyway, so they've been bitten um, and they're being stung and they and they complain to Moses and as Neil says, they complain about God and that, that's enough, that's enough um, um, for God to tolerate. Um, and, uh, and Moses says, well, okay, the, here's, here's God's answer. I'm gonna stick this bronze snake on a stick and we're gonna pick it up. And when you get bitten by a snake, um then you look it up uh, and you'll be healed um job done and as rachel said there's danger of magic in this uh danger that came true um because um they kept this stick didn't they um and some four or five hundred years later under hezekiah's reforms um they still had this stick um and they'd given it a name i wrote it down somewhere um nehushtan um, they'd, they'd given it a name, the snake on the stick, and they were bringing offerings to it in the temple. And there was like a kind of a Nehushtan movement where they almost worshipped the stick. And so Hezekiah had to snap it in two and get very cross with them. Uh, so it did become exactly that. It became an, an, an idol um, for them, uh, like the golden calf, um, not surprisingly. Anyway, it reminded me of um, the Philistines taking the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and uh, having a bit of a bumpy ride, um, uh, it knocked over their god, didn't it? Dagon in the temple, in their little temple, and then they sent it off to another city, and it, it, it caused devastation there too. And they were plagued with what the Bible euphemistically called boils. Um, and I looked up some Hebrew scholars um, uh, to see how, how they how they described this, and they said, "Look, let's be honest." Um, Boils is a euphemism here. It was um, hemorrhoids. Um, and they were plagued with hemorrhoids um, <clears throat> and rats. Um, and in the end, um, after taking a long time working out what to do, um, the Babylonians made golden hemorrhoids, five of them. And I don't know what that looked like. Or one rabbi said, actually, it wasn't golden hemorrhoids. <clears throat> they made golden buttocks and sent them back to Israel, um, almost a real thing of shame, to send back golden buttocks um, to, to admit that you were wrong, and golden rats, five golden rats and five golden hemorrhoids, and sent them back to Israel with the ark and said, very sorry, we won't take it again. <laughs> Clearly your God is bigger than ours. Um, which seems like exactly the same thing. Taking the thing that <clears throat> is is infesting you, is is, is poisoning you is 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 biting you and making it into a, almost like an offering like your sacrament Rachel um and, and so where do we go with that um, is it about and I think it probably is is it about taking the things that we hide away that drag us down that infest our lives that um poison us and bringing them into the light of the day and holding them up. Um, and is it a little bit like, say for instance, with the snake on the stick, God didn't answer their prayer. They asked that he would take away the snakes um, and he didn't, the snakes didn't go, the snakes kept biting them. What happened was they looked up at the stick and then they were cured from the bite. So if you like, the snake lost its sting. Um, you could, you could uh, go back to the Garden of Eden, couldn't you, and the snake and the sting and the bite and the heels and all of that stuff. Um, and then when uh, John takes this image, Jesus is lifted up, 
and what loses its sting um, on the cross? Death loses its sting. Death isn't taken away. Pain isn't taken away. Hemorrhoids are not taken away. Rats are not taken away. Serpents and serpents are not taken away. Bitterness, envy, greed, pride, all those things, they're not taken away. But if we look up at the cross, and more specifically, I think, because that's I mean, it's really a symbol for who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in our lives, if we look up at that, um, then death's sting is taken away. And the sting of hemorrhoids is taken away. And the sting of serpents is taken away. And the sting of bitterness and greed and envy and pride is taken away. And I think somewhere in there um, is, is a sermon about real life and having to live in it and God not vacating the world of horrid things um, but God giving us a way through them um, by helping us raise up our lives in some way. Um, so I got completely absorbed in snakes and I think probably the sermon would probably be looking at snakes um, in, in the Bible and maybe taking snakes as a theme which is, is an obvious and clear theme uh, right from the beginning isn't it neil <clears throat> yeah and and just relating to that i think um maybe one of the other things about it uh, the, the whole snake thing is perhaps it's also a story about what do we really fear i mean if you're you know out in the wilderness camping every night um well snakes are a very legitimate thing <laughs> to be absolutely fearful of now, again, the average UK congregation probably isn't in the habit of being overly concerned with snakes. But my goodness me, we have other fears. Um, and so maybe another way in would be to say, you know, part of what's happening here is, 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 is a way with our, the things we most deeply fear. And I mean, I was thinking, Rachel, of your comment about, you know, I mean, I think many Many of us in churches fear the fact that we haven't got enough young people or we fear that the membership role is declining or we fear that deployment is going to change, every, you know, or we fear that we're going to run out of money. I mean, there's, I always remember Sam Wells um, writing very powerfully about um, how often spiritually the church seems to operate on the basis of scarcity. That, that everything is scarce, um, whereas what, what the Bible tells us is that with God, everything is abundant. And, and I guess maybe there might be a reflection there about, you know, how we as, as, as a denomination, as churches, perhaps often fear all sorts of things about scarcity, about, about stuff running out. Mm. What does it mean? <clears throat> For, for us to hear a story in which God seems to almost say, look, I'm going to take the things that you fear and I'm going to let you look at them and not be, I'm going to let that be the thing that heals you is actually the more you look at what you're fearful of, the more you'll start to understand that I can bless you. I think that's very, I think that would be really powerful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Rachel. And just following on from that, you've got so many instances in the Bible where God's things don't run out, haven't you? So, yeah. um, you know, it's almost um, 
it's a very it's a very human fear this um this fear of of the resources running out which is probably you know quite evolutionary <laughs> um i'm sure it's ingrained through all of human development that we've had to, to think about um where things have come from the the other thing i was going to say is that um i wonder if this perhaps reflecting on this idea of kind of facing the fear and facing the suffering um can can that change the way that we think about prayer because it strikes me that our first response to suffering is to pray for it to be taken away um and as if it never happened you know it's sort of eliminated and we and i wonder if is that a western is that a particularly western idea are mm. the eastern churches perhaps a little bit more um able to cope with suffering as a natural part of what it is to be alive um but i know that uh, and it's hard to say because if someone says oh you know can you pray for my I don't know my mum who's really ill then it's a natural response to to want or for for us it's a, it seems to be a natural response to want to pray that the suffering is taken away and that you know healing is brought about and um is there something in exploring what it means to suffer that's important i i, I think there is rachel yeah it clearly is um I certainly don't subscribe to the nonsense that people spout about generational change in that the modern generations are weaker and feebler than the previous generations. But I think, uh, I think there is a discernible change. Um, I, 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 what I think is discernible anyway, in the idea that any condition of discomfort is um, needs to be instantly ameliorated needs to be taken away straight away um, whereas I think it is true that previous generations uh, lived much more normally um, with a level of deprivation or suffering or, or pain um, that they accepted as part of life. Sometimes it's not right to accept stuff as part of life and to resist it and to try and change it. But sometimes I think as you quite powerfully pointed out there, Rachel, other cultures have got a much more whole um, life understanding of that. And it, it doesn't need to be ameliorated straight away. It's normal to feel anxious, for instance, you know, anxiety, for instance, is a very real issue in today's world. And I wouldn't want to diminish that in any way um, but I think sometimes the things we define as anxiety previous generations would have just accepted as 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 that's part of the human condition to feel anxious it is it's part of who we are um, and discerning what's what needs to be medicated or what needs to be um, dealt with is you know it is maybe what's change I, I'm, I'm floating into hot water here now i know because i'm now sounding like oh the modern generations i really don't want to, to, that to be the case but i think there is actually something in that that needs to be maybe sensitively or um with slightly more discerning than i have um teased out a bit about what it means to live with suffering why didn't god take the snakes away 
they were still, they must have been still scared by the snakes. They didn't want to be bitten by them, even if they could look at this magic bronze cross. Um, they still didn't want a snake coming in their tent, as uh, Neil has powerfully evoked for us how that works. So yeah, I think there's de there is definitely something um, in that. That one that works for me, Neil. Yeah, I mean another kind of building in that sort of direction. I mean, I'm just looking again at the song. And I mean, another way you could go, which might be, might be quite an important way to go, is um, that, you know, those sort of lat the, the latter bit of what the lectionary gives us, so the sort of 17 to 22 stuff. Um, there's stuff in there, theologically, about, you know, God, uh, something goes wrong, we cry out to God, God hears us, and we get saved, and, um, you know, he sent out his word and healed them, delivered them from destruction, um, and uh, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. And I mean, you know, this might be a Sunday, and again, maybe Lent is not a bad time to do it, to to take the risk as preachers of saying, okay, let's talk about um, why do bad things happen to good people, for example? Um, why do some prayers seem to get answered and other prayers seem not to get answered? And every church and every minister will have a list <laughs> of encounters and experiences where, um, you know, you've prayed the prayer, you've hoped <laughs> and stuff hasn't worked out and then equally you know like the, the 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 lady you were talking about phil you know the 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 saintly person who who in a sense is able to leave you feeling like she's actually given you a pastoral visit because she's just so able to kind of hold all that life is throwing at her and yet still be gracious and positive but we also know what it's like to meet the person where you come away afterwards and you just feel wrung out because mm. actually everything is awful and 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 it kind of feels like hope is just being crushed down and i i mean you know this is just a coming to me now so it's not a formed thought but there would be another way to go with these passages you know there's the serpent, there's the bronze serpent, there's the cross. And almost in the middle of them is a psalm that says, you know, okay, pray, trust, believe, it'll be okay. So what would it be to say, well, what, what, what do we do with the fact that it isn't always? Um, and, and, you know, it could open up a sermon about suffering. And I wonder if, um, you know, Again, thinking of Sam Wells, I remember Sam Wells preaching once or at a preaching festival that we did. And um, he said, you know, I wonder how important it is every year in the life of the church for there to be some sermons about the fact that we will die. And some sermons about the fact that bad things happen to good people. Mm. And, and, you know, maybe every year in the life of the church. We need some sermons where we grapple with that stuff. And, and just, you know, looking at that psalm now, 
and listening to you both, I'm, you know, I'm wondering if another direction might be that. And image, imagery wise, um, both um, Moses' snake on a stick and Jesus in John's words being raised up are about lifting your eyes, aren't they? And remind me a little bit of that, the psalm, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. And, and you, you have to be careful not to put this in a, in a facile and simplistic way about there's something, there is something about lifting your eyes uh, to see further, um, to, see, to see more um, than your immediate um, predicament and circumstances and what's immediately happening around you to lift up your eyes and get some perspective on what's going on in the world. And maybe um, Moses' snake on a stick helps him to do that. Don't, don't spend all your time looking down at the floor where these snakes are. Lift up your eyes. God has bigger things in mind here. Um, uh, and the same with John, maybe. Um, coming back to Rachel's sacrament thing, uh, I just went, when Neil took us back to the psalm, I went and had another look um, and noticed um, those words at the beginning of the psalm. Um, I give thanks to the Lord for he is good, steadfast love endures forever. And let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those who redeemed from trouble, and gathered it, those who he gathered in from the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. And I thought, well, where, where have I heard those words? And I think, yeah, we always use those words at the beginning of communion, don't we? That's where we take those words from. People will come from the north and the east and the west and the south, or whichever order they come in, each <laughs> the north, east, south, the north and the east and the south and the west. To gather at God's table, um, and um, uh, so if you want to take your sacrament theme um, and uh, gathering up all those people, um, then those words uh, give us an instant thing. But, and I think it's interesting. The psalmist then says, "And what do those people look like who are gathering around this table of abundant things? Um, they're, they're the ones who've been out and, and nearly drowned." in their boats. These are the ones who have been sick. These are the ones who have faced awful problems in their lives and they're gathering um, to give thanks to the Lord for his uh, steadfast love. Um, I just think that, that, that's, I'll come back to that psalm again. Um, it, it's just absolutely tremendous stuff, isn't it? So um, yeah, don't, don't go with the lectionary, go with the whole thing. You can't just read this bit of it because it's stunted in the lectionary. Go, go with the whole thing because it's got real impact. Um, the, the words of Psalm 19. It's almost like I've only just ever discovered it today for the first time, isn't it? Um, maybe I have. There are some powerful themes. Rachel. I was going to say it's just really powerful that image of um, a whole load of, um, you know, bedraggled and battered and, you know, scarred and wearied people coming. Um, to the one who gives us life and I think often we make um, the sacrament of communion um, there can be a tendency to make it something very um, precious in a bad way <laughs> um, and something a bit elite and you know some churches might like to have quite strict rules around who can have it and who can't and you know maybe if you're not wearing the right stuff you're not really 
not really very welcome and all of that and I think just that image from the psalm of um you know people almost staggering in from the battlefield mm -hmm. <laughs> um yeah, very yeah, much so. the, the visual image of that I think is really yeah. kind of powerful I've got a picture in my head of um of Brixham fishermen maybe who've just been out in the storm on the on their uh, for, for weeks they're out for weeks on these horrendous conditions sort of dragging back through storm Christoph or whichever particular storm has just battered us um, and and dragging themselves off the boat having been brought back safely and and dripping down the aisle with their sou'esters coming um, to, to, to give thanks to God for his steadfast love alongside all those other half-starved um, snake-bitten people. Um, I think it's a fabulous image, Rachel, maybe we could play with in our worship. Mm. Talking of which, um, the creative things we can do with the other parts of our worship um, that, uh, that, that somehow give us a, a, a way into these readings. Um, where, 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 have you, where are we going with that, Rachel? Um, well, I had a vague thought that I hadn't managed to really crystallise, but it's actually been reflected in some of the things that we've talked about. And I've written down a reminder of pain because when I look back on my own journey of faith, so to speak, the times when I've when I look back and I can see that I've really grown, they've been the difficult times. Um, but we don't tend to we don't tend to return to them very often, do we? Um, because they're you know painful. <laughs> um, and maybe there is something, I don't know how you do it, but if there's some way that you can enable people to engage with a kind of reminder of the pain that they felt as a way to reconnect with, um, with the blessing that has maybe come through it eventually. Um, but I don't know quite how you do, I don't know how you do that. And it'd be quite a personal thing to do. Um, I just felt that it might be important to try and think of a way that we engage with pain rather than pretend it didn't happen. Um, I have a vague, I have a vague memory of an exercise we might have done at college um, at some time um, where somebody got us to draw a, a kind of a life timeline, you know, those things that you draw on a graph with the sort of up and, up and down um, of a significant event, you know, what were the worst times of your life, what were the best times of your life, um, and we all had a go at drawing that, and then they said, well, on the top half of the paper, I think we divided it into two already, um, draw uh, the same the same span of years uh, with the same kind of scale, um, but draw the points of life where you think your faith was strongest. Um, and I don't know whether that kind of exercise would bring out kind of thing that you're saying, uh, and you'd, you, you'd imagine that it wouldn't be very neat. But it, you might, people might find that at some of the points that are lowest on the uh, life experience scale, are some of the points that are sort of higher up on their journey mm -hmm. of faith. It also links in with the idea of journeys, um, mm -hmm. journeying through life, and and not not most journeys have got bad spots in, like roadworks on the M5, for instance. Um, and they're not all smooth, are they? <laughs> so, uh, 
it might, it might well fit in with that scene quite nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Neil, what have um, you? Another... Oh, you're still going. Oh, sorry. Another couple of things. I did think about maybe uh, encouraging people to have to start like a jar of joy kind of thing, where you mm. just made a note um, of some something that has given you joy or blessing, um, and put a date on it and put it in your jar. And then when you are going through a difficult time, um, you've got actual concrete bits of paper that you can pick up and see that you know on January the twentieth this happened and I really felt that God blessed me in that. Um, wondered if that's an ongoing exercise that people could do. I also did kind of toy with the idea of um, if you were doing it via Zoom, get everyone on one of these simulated roller coaster rides and uh, <laughs> see what that does to people. Um, <laughs> that, that was, uh, yeah, that was my final thought. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously cool. If, if, in, have you seen those videos of people who bought like um, virtual reality headsets, and um, and they've let grandma have a go? And just have, have a look on YouTube. There's probably loads of examples of when grandma was the kids put the VR set onto grandma and took her on a roller coaster. And just look, <laughs> get hold of a virtual reality set if you were allowed in a live setting to, to do that. That would be brilliant um, uh, way to go. I, 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 I tried to look this up on the internet um, a few years ago, um, but I just simply, I drew a blank and couldn't find it. So I don't know whether I dreamt it. Um, I'm, I'm fairly sure that somebody once told me about a tradition in some culture or other, which again, I can't find, so I just, it might be nonsense. Um, but there being some culture, either a modern culture or a, uh, an ancient culture, where that was their, exactly their practice, almost what you've just said. Um, throughout their life, they would keep a big jar. Um, and I don't know if it was daily or week, probably weekly. Um, maybe even yearly, whatever, um, they would drop different coloured stones in, um, depending on what life was like. And, and for, for, for bad times, they would drop a black stone in. And then for good times, they would drop a coloured stone in, and they do different colours, but it was always a black stone or a coloured stone. And at the end of somebody's life, they would break open the jar and spread out the... Um, um, the, 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 yeah, well, you get the idea. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, <laughs> and maybe people haven't got the patience to do it for their entire life and then for their relatives only to see it after they're dead. But um, <laughs> it's quite nice to do it for a year, each, say each week, um, and then um, uh, have a date on which you broke it open um, and spread it out to say, actually, that's what my life looked like. Um, for last year, 2020 might be a year not to do it in. Um, <laughs> that's gone now. So I think, yeah, there's mileage in that. Uh, that's one of those things also that I think extends worship beyond today, doesn't it? it it's mm. something that people take away that then embeds itself into their life, uh, which which is which is always cool. Neil, what have you dragged out of your um, closet? Uh, a couple of couple of things um so yet again some pictures i'm afraid uh, 
So one of the things that's interesting is that the snake on a stick um, finds its way onto ambulances all over the world. Um, now, uh, when I did a little bit of reading around this, it turns out that there's a lot of confusion as to, <laughs> as to why. Um, some people, of course, want to highlight that this is Moses and his serpent, but it also has Greek and Roman um, gods in the background as well, particularly um, the Greek god of healing, Aesculapius. Um, but it's just, you know, it's just intriguing that all over the world on ambulances, um, this image appears. And, you know, it just might be, uh, I, 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 it could become easily a distraction in worship. But actually, you know, just as a visual image of, of that sense of actually the thing that scares us becomes the thing that heals us, then, you know, you might play with some images. Um, this is quite interesting. This is um, created by a Florentine artist called Giovanni Fantoni, and it sits in front of the Franciscan friary, which is on the traditional site, site of Mount Nebo, where Moses was meant to have looked over and seen the promised land. And um, it's a sculpture that takes the um, snake on a stick but it also takes look at the cross and it kind of combines them. And that might be quite an interesting image to, to dwell on within the context of worship. And then if you really want to get into um, your art history, this one is an amazing painting by Lucas Cranach, the younger, um, who was the kind of sort of unofficial painter of the Lutheran Reformation. And so this is a Lutheran altarpiece called the Crucifixion. And it shows Martin Luther on the on on the far uh, standing on the far right as we look at it. And then you've got Lucas Cranach the Elder. So you've got the, the dead father of the artist. And then you've got John the Baptist and then you've got Jesus. And Jesus appears both on the cross and he then appears on the side there um, and he's and he's victorious over sin and death. And there's a huge amount going on. But one of the things that's kind of interesting about this is this is a painting that explicitly takes our John passage and turns it into paint. Because if you look above Lucas Cranach and, and John the Baptist and Luther's heads, and I've given you the little blow up there, you've got a camp in the wilderness where the Israelites are being attacked by snakes and you've got a snake, a bronze serpent on a staff, and they're to look at that and be saved. So, I mean, there's an awful lot more going on in this painting, but if you wanted an image uh, that again is, you know, if you search for it in the right ways, you can get copyright free um, versions that allow you, you could use. Um, it's actually very much a painting that is explicitly taking that John text and our numbers text and working with them. Um, and of course was designed to hang over a place where you celebrated communion. Mm. So, so you've got the sacramental element in it as well. Um, so that might be kind of fun. And then the final thing I've got is, is just this. 
a little holding cross. Because, <laughs> you know, one of the most powerful experiences for me in pastoral ministry um, was um, going to visit someone in hospital uh, on the even of an operation. And um, she was very, very scared. And we prayed and fortuitously, I mean, I don't often do this, <laughs> fortuitously, I happened to have in my bag a holding cross. And, and thank God, the Holy Spirit sort of said in my ear, Neil, give her a cross. And I just said to her, would you, would you like something to hold on to? And I gave her one of these little holding crosses, which is misshapen so that you can really and um the doctor told me afterwards that when they brought her down for the surgery they noticed that her hand was clasped around it and they said to her would you like to hold on to that throughout the surgery and she said yes and they wrapped a bandage around her hand so that as she went to sleep she was literally holding. And when she woke up, the nurse was just rubbing her hand and said, you're okay. The operation has been a great success. You're okay. And, you know, again, I suspect these have found their ways into corners of church life all over the place. Now, whether, I mean, this is quite a large one. I think you can get smaller ones, but I mean, it might be kind of interesting, perhaps, depending on the size of the congregation, depending on whether we're doing it in person or whatever, to give everyone a holding cross and just say, you know, what, what, what does it mean to hold on? That's absolutely fantastic story. How very powerful. Look, on that painting, was, is Jesus's loincloth also fashioned into a snake? Like a snake, yeah, I thought yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so an awful lot, lot in it. I've, I've seen some of those paintings where the sort of blood is spurting out and it's being collected in a communion cup as well, isn't it? Um, yeah, so in that one, the blood is pouring onto the head of the artist's dead father. Yeah. So he is literally saying, my father is safe because he, he believed. That's, mm. yeah, that's just phenomenal, isn't it? The, the amount that's in there that's actually... Yeah going on in this is kind of over Lucas Cranach the younger wow um all sorts of stuff going on there it won't surprise you to know that almost everything that I looked at was to do with snakes on sticks <laughs> so um yeah we may we may we may move over this uh, quite quickly um as I show you what I came up with because I think I'm definitely going with a snake on stick theme here um, and the snake, the whole snake uh, thing. There, there's what Neil was t telling us about. Um, it, <laughs> it is, um, I don't know, the, th the thing that um, impressed me about this was, I don't know whether in the, in the mind of Giovanni Fantoni, he was thinking, what if I put this on the highest place and so everybody is looking up to it? Uh, what if? The whole world was looking up to this healing um, serpent on a stick that is also a cross. Um, and what a fantastic vision, at least, 
um, to say, what if everybody was raising their eyes to this? And I'm going to do that visually somehow. So, um, yeah, um, not not unlike um, this, the the big statues of Jesus on hills, uh, with I think pretty much the same idea in mind. The uh, the 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 confusion over um, snakes on sticks. Um, there are several of them. <laughs> there's, two, there's two that get particularly confused. Uh, there's the double snake on stick. Sometimes it appears on, I think, some American um, uh, healthcare logos is is the caduceus. Two snakes, caduceus, um, which is uh, Hermes's stick. Um, he uh, apparently saw two snakes fighting um, and he threw a stick at them. Um, they wrapped it around it and it quite looked like the result and so he took the stick. <laughs> so, um, his, his stick um, is about commerce and travel, although you'd imagine it should really be about stopping people from fighting. But there we are, um, because Hermes was a traveller, um, which fits in very nicely with um, Rachel's journey theme. So you could take Hermes as your symbol. And the caduceus is the double snake on stick with the wings because he's uh, Hermes and he's got wings, now a parcel delivery force, I believe. Um, <laughs> and then the one that Neil was pointing out on the back of ambulances is Asclepius's, um, oh, that's how I pronounce it anyway, <laughs> um, uh, his stick, um, which he carried around with him, which is one snake on a stick, um, a bit like Moses's ones. The, 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 the snake licked his ears clean <laughs> and in so doing, gave him healing knowledge. That's that's how it happened. <laughs> um, or the snake uh, gave him a herb, because snakes are famous for their herb gardens, um, and gave a herb to Asclepius, or the Jovis, if you're Roman, um, and the herb gave him resurrecting powers. So that was quite a cool thing to have. Um, so Asclepius showed his gratitude to the snakes by carrying a staff with one snake on it, not two, because that'd be the other one. <laughs> um, uh, that'd be the caduceus. Um, but Asclepius is the single snake or the double snake. Impress your congregations with your knowledge of uh, snake sticks through the ages. <laughs> That's, um, um, and of course, I don't know, I was kind of fascinated by the fact that um, the people had just come out of slavery in Egypt and an encounter with a pharaoh. Um, who is also famous for having a snake on his head, um, or uh, and and all the pharaohs had the snake, the cobra, like a snake on a stick, but it was a snake on on a hat, um, snake on a helmet, um, and that was a Greek god. So I, I don't know what it must have felt like for the people of Israel to be asked to look up at this snake on a stick. They were already scared of snakes, um, but in their collective historical conscience the snake um from not just from the garden of eden but the snake from there symbolized their captivity in in egypt um the, that symbolized the power of the pharaoh um and i wonder and, and maybe maybe it's being fanciful um but a lot of this symbolism is lost to us this whole idea of snakes had its own story um, for the people who first thought this through, I, I'd be surprised if there wasn't some connection um, to uh, their experience of Pharaoh and the snake on snake on his hat or his headdress. Um, 
Yeah, so that's that, that's that's what I've got. Yeah, Rachel. I've just been reminded that in the ancient world, snakes were symbols of fertility and resurrection because of the way that they shed their skin and were seen to rejuvenate. So um, snakes were often, you know, we we kind of tend to treat them quite negatively. And I, obviously, and you know, the people were scared of the snakes, obviously for a good reason. But they were they did also symbolise fertility and new life. Um, and there are things probably you could draw from that with I, relation to I the new I, life. I haven't picked that up at all. No, that's fascinating. And of course, in, in the early sort of um, magic contests between Moses and um, Pharaoh's um, magicians, uh, one of the contests was turning snakes into sticks, um, wasn't it? Um, picking up snakes and turning them into staffs. Um, so... Yeah, snakes and sticks are a, a rich vein of <laughs> 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 biblical interpretation. And my congregation is going to get snakes until they're fed up with them. Um, and and, and there's, there's American churches, aren't there, where a proof of faith is is picking up snakes, isn't it? Is there some snake picking up it was, snakes? That's a movie. I think it's real. I think it actually happened. It's not really? talking about snakes on planes. But there were sort of <laughs> there were some churches where people would go around and pick up snakes, and it was some kind of that's where the film comes from, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Readers, readers, and viewers, um, look it up. Yeah, where does that come from? Don't know. Um, snakes on sticks, not on planes. Right, we have covered a lot of ground um, and found um, powerful material in all of those readings. Um, has anyone got any final thoughts about any of those themes? No? In which case, we'd like to say we have enjoyed um, this time talking absolute worship. Um, and uh, we hope you've maybe picked up a thread that you can run with and attend to the um, awesome task of taking God's word and making it real for your congregations. Neil's going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray. I give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Lord, as we give you thanks, we give you thanks for scripture and for the privilege and blessing of sharing in scripture, breaking it open, preaching on it, dwelling on it and letting it become part of our lives and other people's lives. And we pray your blessing on all who do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.